0: Psalm 116. Psalm 116 is a bit more of a well-known psalm. It's been used many times for public thanksgivings. It's been used by churches in connection with the Lord's Supper celebration. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. I'd like to read it at this time. God's holy word. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O oh my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's bow before God and ask for his blessing, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm of infectious gratitude. We pray that by your Spirit you would work thankful hearts in us. Bless your word to us tonight and make us to be the people that you want us to be. We thank you, O Lord, for the joy of being assembled this evening to give you thanks. We pray that the study of this psalm would increase our gratitude. Lord, take away our dullness and give us your light through the preaching of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, congregation, there's a certain order, a logical order, and an experiential order to the three psalms now that we've read on three consecutive Lord's Days. We started with Psalm 33, which was a hymn of praise, in which the psalmist praised God who spoke the world into existence, the Lord who rules over all things, who causes his counsel to stand, though this counsel of the nations falls. That was a hymn of praise. And then last week we sunk down to the depths of grief and confusion with Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? Cries of anguish. And now tonight, we come to a psalm of thanksgiving. Lord, you've heard me and you've answered me. Praise the Lord. Walter Bruggeman, an Old Testament scholar, suggested that the psalms could be placed into three categories. Psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of reorientation. Tripper Longman, in his book, How to Read the Psalms, puts it like this. First are the psalms of orientation, which praise God for being God. The psalmist's world is in order. Second, the laments are psalms of disorientation. The psalmist has lost his way. He experiences fear and grief. Finally, there are psalms of reorientation, which experience renewed hope in God. What's one way to categorize the psalms? Orientation. God is God. Disorientation. Where are you, Lord? This doesn't look right. Reorientation. Thank you, Lord. You've heard me. But however we categorize them, it's interesting to note, isn't it, that the Psalms are a variety of songs and a variety of faith expressions. John Calvin famously described the Psalms as an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, by which he meant that there's no, there's no emotion that's not reflected in the Psalms. There's a, a song, there's a prayer for for all all the varied experiences of the Christian life, for the times of uh, of high praise, for the times of low questioning, for, for times of being instructed. There are faith expressions God gives to us throughout the Psalms to sing and pray to God. And so believers throughout the history who have who have cherished their walk with the Lord have loved the Psalms. And our Reformed heritage is one that has prized the Psalms as recognizing that our spirituality should be shaped by these faiths expressions. Well, tonight we consider the expression of gratitude, the expression of gratitude. Let's look at this psalm of thanksgiving and consider, first of all, the answer that's celebrated in the first half, and then to consider, secondly tonight, the gratitude that's offered up in the second half, and then in the third point, I'd like you to look at the psalm overall as the love that's now been deepened so those three points, the answer celebrated, the gratitude offered, and the love deepened. So the psalm begins with two verses of introduction. I love the Lord. He heard me. And then he begins to tell the story at verse 3. This is how it went in my life. The pains of death surrounded me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. And so he, he tells the story of this, this time of desperation, a, a near death experience. He, he had almost come to the end of it. He was about to die. Death was opening its mouth to swallow him up. The cords of death were, were lassoing him and, and trying to pull him into the grave. We're not told, just like the earlier Psalm, last week's Psalm, we're not told the specifics. Was it despondency and depression that set in? Was it sickness or disease? He was literally about to die. Was it somewhere trapped on the battlefield with no way out? It's not specified. Again, probably so that we can easily adapt and use it ourselves. But we've also experienced times of great crises. And we've also experienced deliverances and answers to prayer. Verse six, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Verse eight, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from falling. I was so desperate, God, and you heard me and you literally saved me. Now you see what the believer is doing here. He is drawing a straight line from his crisis and his prayer to God to the deliverance. And he's saying, Lord, it's you who did this. There's no other way for me to interpret this. There's no other way for me to explain this. It is the hand of God. Sometimes living as we do in a culture of, of unbelief and at the same time scientific discovery, we, we want to just explain everything away quite apart from God and we we don't draw the line do we to say God did this and we need to be reminded as the psalmist does here to say this is God's answer and you know that's a real blessing isn't it, when somebody else in our life points out to us what we're missing I know I've spoken of things before telling my story and somebody just says boy God was good to you just like wow Yeah, I should be talking about God. It's not about my interesting story. It's about, yeah, God did that, didn't he? God saved me. God rescued me. God answered me. It's nice when parents help their children to draw the line. It's nice when a husband or wife says, look at what God did for you. And it's good to come to church here and have people say, the Lord was merciful to you, wasn't he? Because we need to draw these lines. And if we ask, well, why did God save me? The psalmist makes clear God didn't save me because of my wonderful character, but because of his character. Verse 5 Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. He's gracious. He gives us what we don't deserve. He's righteous. He keeps every promise to his people. He's merciful. He has a, a tender, sympathetic heart to the plight of his people. Verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. As one writer puts it, the word translated simple does not refer to the mentally impaired. It is a word found most frequently in Proverbs to describe people who have no sense, lack shrewdness or prudence, people who are prepared to believe anything. Here it seems to refer to the gullible, the vulnerable. And so the psalmist is saying, it wasn't that I was so bright, I was so savvy, I knew what to do, Lord. Lord, you preserve the simple. I... I was foolish. I didn't know the way to go. And this is part of the glory of our God, that he's, he's not moved to, the, to help the rich and the famous. He's, he has regard for those who are, who are nothing, who have no resources, who have no qualities that demand that he save them. God stoops down to the small and to the unsavvy and to the unsophisticated. James Boyce writes, not only is God gracious, but he's also gracious to little people to the plane, to commoners, to the everyday person on the bus or in the shop, to people like the psalmist. This is one of the great glories of our God. When Jesus called his disciples, he called fishermen and tax collectors. When angels announced the birth of Jesus, they appeared to shepherds. Our Lord Jesus himself gloried in this, didn't he? Matthew 11, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. God has appeared to the likes of us. He's a gracious God, a righteous God. He's true to his promises. He keeps covenant with his people. Oh, Lord, you heard me not because of who I am, but because of who you are, because of who you are. God, you are gracious, and we live by grace. This is this is the only way that we can attribute to God the answer to prayer. Is if we're willing to say, "You're gracious." I live by grace. I live by undeserved mercy toward an undeserving sinner, undeserved favor towards one like me. The believer says at one point in verse ten, "I believed." Therefore, I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. And the believer, it seems, through faith is, is seeing clearly his position here. I'm, I'm desperate. I'm afflicted. And verse 11, I said in my haste, all men are liars. There's no help to be found. All those who said they would come and help me and rescue me, they failed me. I believe, and therefore I spoke. Only rescue comes from God. As the song says, when other helpers Fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, O so abide with me. Now, it's interesting that maybe you know this, that, that that line in Psalm 116, I believe, therefore I spoke, is taken up by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. And he says in chapter 4, as he describes his suffering for the gospel... He says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. But Paul says, I haven't given up hope. He says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. See, the apostle is confident, isn't he, that that no matter what he suffers for Christ's sake, it will all turn out well. And and even if he should suffer death for the gospel, as he eventually will, he knows this, that, that God who raised up Christ will raise him up too. And so he speaks in faith because Christ gave him up for our Himself up for our sins because Christ suffered the covenant curse. The Apostle Paul could know that there is a future. I'll be raised triumphantly. Because every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ. We may believe and so speak. We must believe and so speak. No matter the weakness of our condition, no matter the unreliability of men, we must declare, the Lord will save me. He says in verse 8, For you've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. In this life, we we see part of the deliverance. And at Christ's coming, we get to see the fullness of deliverance. Already now, you could probably tell stories of being delivered from dangers or diseases or demons or death. But ultimately, we'll be raised up in glory. And so the believer can can say to his own soul in verse 7, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? To be able to say that? That in Christ Jesus, I have rest. In Jesus, I have peace. I have security. Apart from Christ, my, my life is chaos. My future is bleak. But in Christ Jesus, rest, O my soul. God is so good to you. He is so good to you. We must remember and celebrate the mercies of God and above all, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, which is our rescue and is the proof that God is gracious and God is righteous and God is merciful. So we're to be alert to this, to be alert to this. And it's to lead them to what? but to the giving of thanks. Paul in 2 Corinthians, after he says those words I quoted, then he says, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And that's what we see in the second half of the psalm. Thanksgiving now abounds to the glory of God. Let's look at that in the second half of the psalm, beginning at verse 12. The believer says, what, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? What shall I give to God who's done all this for me? It's not that he lacks desire to thank God, but, but what compares? Remember Isaac Watts, he, he penned those lines when I surveyed the wondrous cross, right? And then he, he wrote, we're the whole realm of nature, mine that were a present far too small. What shall I render to Jehovah for all his benefits towards me? Can't repay the God who owns everything, needs nothing. But we can honor him with gratitude. And we should, shouldn't we? Examine ourselves in light of a psalm like this and say, Is my heart thankful? And am I trained in the expression of thanks? Do I cry out for God? In my desperation, I'm really good at praying, but when deliverance comes, then I conveniently forget the one who delivered me. I've noted this in my life and in the life of the church, that it's easy to pray and pray and pray and pray for someone. But then when they get healed or when they get delivered in some way, then we say thanks once or twice and then we, we move on, Right? And this too often happens, doesn't it? That we we don't give adequate attention to gratitude. John Calvin's comments convict. He says, David's example in this instance teaches us not to treat God's benefits lightly or carelessly. For if we estimate them according to their value, the very thought of them ought to fill us with admiration. There is not one of us who has not God's benefits heaped upon us, but our pride carries us away, causes us to forget this truth. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. What's the psalmist thinking of? Some people think the cup of salvation here is... Is a drink offering or something like that, or or maybe a a cup of wine in celebration as he gathers with the saints at Jerusalem at the temple for a Thanksgiving offering or something. But the cup is often used figuratively in the Bible to represent the, the portion, the full portion of something. And it's often used in a negative way, actually, as the cup of the Lord's wrath. A cup given to Israel, a cup given to the nations, a cup of judgment that's described as, quote, a cup of fury, or, quote, a cup of trembling, or, quote, the cup of horror and desolation. Psalm 75, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spice as he pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. But, cup can also, instead of being a cup of wrath, can be a cup of blessing, right? Like Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. And I think that's the idea. It's the cup of salvation he's talking about. It's the cup of the Lord's mercies, his benefits towards me. And so the, the answer to the psalmist here is rather surprising. He asks that, that question. He interrogates his soul. What shall I render to the Lord for all he's done? hundred dollars thousand dollars I'll work for him really hard no he says I will take up I will receive from his hand the cup of his benefits I will drink and taste of God's love for me and I will call upon the name of the Lord not just call upon to give thanks but as the word call upon is used a couple of times previous in the psalm, it means to petition the Lord. It's as if the psalmist is saying, you know what I'm going to do for all God's benefits to me? I'm going to take those from his hand and taste of his goodness, and I'm going to say, Lord, fill it up again. Do it again. Save me again. Bless me again. And that's a surprising answer because our inclination is to do the opposite, right? If we, if we, in a time of crisis, trouble our Brother, or sister, in desperation, help me. And they, they bend over backwards and help us. Then we say, oh, thank you, thank you. And I hope I'll never have to bother you again. But the Christian cannot live that way before his God. We are beggars all the way to heaven. And what God counts as gratitude, is not that we say, oh, thank you, Lord. You've done it. I'll take it from here. I'm good. But gratitude is to say, Lord, I take from your hand and I need more. I take from your hand and tomorrow you've got to fill it up again. I drink of your goodness, Lord. I live by your goodness. Grant me more, please. This is the way of the Christian life. We live by the blessing of the Lord day by day week by week, and we glorify him by confessing that. As Matthew Henry put it, in gratitude for for former mercies, in gratitude for former mercies, seek me for further mercies and continue to call upon me. That's what God says to us. We're helpless sinners. So we come to the Lord's Supper next Next Lord's Day to, to taste of God's goodness. And we don't come to the Lord's table to say, Lord, we need a bit and then we won't bother you anymore. We come to the table and say, Lord, we plan to be here again in another month. We, we plan to come every week. We need more of your gospel. We need more of your grace. We need more of your spirit. We need you, Lord. And why doesn't God get irritated with us for all this neediness? Because God is merciful and righteous, and gracious, and he gave his own son to wrestle in the garden and to say, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of your foaming vengeance. But he was willing to drink it down to its bitter dregs. And because Christ drank that cup of whore and desolation, the covenant curse, he has purchased for us the overflowing cup of mercies. It's interesting that this psalm may be one of the psalms our Lord Jesus sang on the night of his arrest. Psalms 113 through 118 are known as the Egyptian Hallel, A song or a section of praise that that was used, it seems, to celebrate deliverance out of Egypt. And so they were sung at the Passover. It's said that Psalms 113 and 114 were sung before the Passover meal, and then Psalms 115 through 118 were sung after the meal. And so it's quite like that. Our Lord Jesus sang Psalm 116 as he went out with his disciples to the garden to be arrested and to be crucified. And he would have known full well, wouldn't he, that on that night, the cup that he would drink would not be the cup of salvation, but the cup of wrath. And he would have to say, I take, Lord, from your hand, the cup of devastation. But in him, the blessing purchased that we now can drink of the Lord's riches again and again. And God gives us in all Christ all things freely. The psalmist says in verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And no death has ever been more precious to our God than the death of his own beloved son. But in Christ, our death has become precious. It's not a cheap thing. Many times the Lord delivers us from death. But when our days written are finished, then our death is precious to the Lord because he calls us, his beloved children, into his home in glory. But as long as we're upon this earth, we are to give thanks. And we are to give thanks with one another. You'll notice in the psalm how much of this is, is communally, communally expressed. Right? The psalmist says, I will, verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. He says in verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord now, in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. It's right and fitting, isn't isn't it, that we publicly express our gratitude to God. It's right and fit that we together make known, we proclaim God's name to each other. God has done this. Our faith is personal, but it is not private. We weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We share all things together as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ, by his death, has made us one. So we must learn to give thanks. We must learn to see what God has done and to praise him for it. But God seeks more than the expressions of our lips. Notice finally tonight that the thing God seeks above all then is our love. Our love. Love deepened. Notice that finally. I'd just draw your attention. To what's sort of embedded throughout the psalm, that through what the psalmist experience here, through the disorientation leading to reorientation, through the, the sorrow, the near death experience, the crying out to God to being delivered, something has transpired in the psalmist's life that he has come to love the Lord more than he did before. The psalm begins, in fact, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Now, we might wrongly say to ourselves, well, he should love the Lord just because the Lord is the Lord and not because God does things for him. But that would not be very biblically literate, would it? Because throughout the Bible, we are called to love the Lord because of who he is revealed in what he does. That he's cared for us. We love him because he first loved us. And the purpose of all of his mercies then are to draw us closer to him and to cause us to love him more. The, the famous preacher, London preacher Charles Spurgeon, put it like this The believer not only knows that he loves God, but why he loves him. When love can justify itself with a reason, it is deep, strong, abiding. They say that love is blind, but when we love God, our affection has its eye open and can sustain itself with the most rigid logic. We have reason, superabundant reason for loving the Lord. You see, you can't love the Lord for who he is without paying attention to what he's done for you. They're trying to love the Lord without, I'm not going to talk about Jesus dying, I'm just going to love God. Well, you can't love God without praising God for Christ dying for you. It's the only way you know God. It's the only way God has known to you. It's the only way you can have fellowship with God, or you can receive any of your praise. And so what this means is that our experiences of crises and anguished prayers... Leading to answers and deliverances are the opportunities to grow in love for the Lord. To grow in love for the Lord. We tend to think of trials as wasted times. At least I know I do. Lord, you could just fix this. Nothing good is happening here. Fix it. Let's get moving. Then I can be productive again. Take this away and then I can be more productive. And this psalmist shows us that it's really kind of the opposite, isn't it? That it's precisely the utter helplessness, the near-death experience even, the crying out, Lord, I have no other helper but you. And then the experience of the Lord showing his mercy that deepens our love for him. Leads us to say, verse 16, Oh, Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Lord, I'm all yours. To say, verse 2 of the psalm, Because he's inclined his ear to me, therefore I'll call upon him as long as I live. No more running here and there to other people. God is my God. I will call upon him. You see, the believer is a changed man, isn't he? Something glorious has happened in his life. God has acted for him. John Calvin again writes, From this we are instructed that those who have been heard by God, but do not place themselves entirely under his guidance and guardianship, have derived little advantage from the experience of his grace. And that happens in our lives, doesn't it? Where God brings us through great trials and we... We seem to derive little advantage from what we've been through. But that's not God's goal, is it? That's not what we should be aiming for. We should be praying, Lord, as you bring me through this, or Lord, as I've seen now your mercy, let that change me. Let me not be hard and stubborn and learn the hard way, but let me be open to see your mercies. And let me be changed forever. Alec Mottier, in his commentary, writes, Vows, noting at the end of the psalm how many words there are about vows, right? He's going to make his vows and pay his vows. He makes promises to God in the midst of, of his despair or in his crying out to God. Maybe vows that he'll give thanks to God or vows he's going to do this and walk closely with God. But, but Mottier writes, Vows undertaken in time of trouble were not bargains with God but evidence of serious intent to learn from experience and to emerge from it a better and more dedicated person. So I ask you tonight, have your needs and your cries and God's answers created in you a deeper love, a more sincere devotion, a more constant commitment to call upon the Lord. Can you say tonight, I love the Lord because he heard me. I love the Lord because he saved me. This is what God seeks from his children. The day is coming when Jesus Christ returns and he who drank the cup of God's wrath will pour out upon us the full measure of cup of blessing. And eternal fellowship with God. But right now, God, through the trials of this life, is increasing our capacity to know God and to love Him. Praise be to God for a work so mysterious, so mysterious and glorious. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your psalms that teach us guide us. We thank you that our struggles in this life, our prayers and our praises are not left to to our own imaginations. We thank you that you guide us into the way we ought to respond to you. We pray, Lord, our response to your mercies to us would be a deeper love, would be a profound expression of gratitude, would be a gladness to gather with your saints and to say publicly, God has been good to me. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is willing to drink that bitter cup so we can enjoy your cup of fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Hear us, God, and receive our thanks. Amen.